We've been looking at the Psalm of the Father. If you turn me to with me to Revel, to Psalm one o three, Psalm one o three. David says, "Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit?" Who redeems your life from the pit. We unpacked this one sentence last week on Easter Sunday for those of you who weren't here. It's the third of the Father's blessings that we see here through these glimmers of Easter that we see all through the year, reflections of the resurrection as he redeems our life from the pit. We skip forward to this because it fit Easter so well. So now we'll go back to the blessing that we skipped over, uh, the one in the verse just before, verse 3, where David says, he heals all your diseases. He heals all your diseases. You might say that what we have here in Psalm 103, if you take these blessings in consecutive order, is kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, starting with our most basic need. On the first week, we saw, as Martin Luther said, that man's first need, man's most basic need, and someday we're going to see this before the great white throne, is to find a gracious God who pardons all our iniquities. And so that's what David starts with. This time we'll see that a close second to that, if we only knew, is that he heals all our diseases, which is the second blessing that David focuses on here. Like last week, we're going to camp on this one sentence today to see how deep the scripture goes, really how deep the Father's love for us goes, how vast beyond all measure. How deep does it go, especially when you're feeling alone in a universe that may have been emptied out by some situation or whatever, uh, and wondering if he's really there? How deep does the Father's love for us go? Well, he heals all our diseases. He heals all our diseases. Now, this is a verse that's often misused by people who give you the impression that it's always God's will for us to be healed. I mean, after all, the scripture says he heals all of them, doesn't it? And so if he hasn't healed you, it must mean that you don't have the faith to be healed. Because if you just believe, you'll never get sick. And if you do get sick, it's because of not enough faith on your part. Um, And uh, because God's will is always to make you better. You've probably heard that. And indeed, if this were all that the scripture taught on the subject, it might be reasonable to uh, draw that conclusion or to think that maybe the scripture is mistaken or that David is mistaken because while it says he heals all our diseases, we know that sometimes he doesn't and it's not always because of a lack of faith. So what's going on here? Well, he does heal us supernaturally. Some of you have experienced this. My first father, as I've mentioned before, died of cancer when I was young. He was in the hospital for an entire year back in 1960 with an incurable form of cancer. We were uh, missionaries in Hong Kong at the time, and many came to Christ during that difficult year before he passed away. And we believe God healed him so that could happen. 
My mom wrote about this in a letter to Lauren Sani, the president of the Navigators, in March of 1960. She said, Kathleen, a young student nurse, a Chinese nurse, came to Christ uh, as a result of looking at how my father uh, accepted his suffering. She led Mr. Tung to Christ, another man down the hallway with incurable cancer. And two days later, he passed away. Another student named Katie has also responded positively to the gospel. My mother wrote back to the, our stateside supporters. At one point, my father's kidneys shut down and they thought he'd be gone in a matter of days. And, and uh, my mom wrote another letter about the second time God healed him after all the missionaries in Hong Kong gathered together and crowded together in his hospital room. She wrote, we again called the other missionaries in for prayer because we know sometimes he does heal our diseases, Right? The air was charged with faith. They were packed into the room. Immediately, Dean's condition took a marked turn for the better, and day by day, he continued to improve. God gave him more time, and more came to Christ as a result. But in the end, he wasn't healed completely, and he died about a month after this. And even more came to Christ as a result of how he died. So he was healed, But not permanently because he died. Death, of course, is the ultimate disease and all of us will die so he doesn't heal all our diseases. So is the Bible wrong. What does David mean here? Well, to make a long story short, as we move briefly to Roman numeral one in your notes, in the bulletins, a qualification. If you compare scripture with scripture, it's obvious that David is using a figure of speech here, one that we call a hyperbole, which is a statement that's not meant to be taken literally. And so you can fill in the blank by Roman numeral one. It's not literally exactly true. It's just one of many examples, scores of them, of how the scripture is true, though on the surface you may wonder if you don't dig into it. The apostle John, for instance, was using a hyperbole when he said at the end of his gospel, there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. Come on, John. (laughs) Certainly he didn't do so much that the world would not contain the books. Well, what did he mean by that? Well, he meant you may think I've written a lot about what Jesus did, but you haven't seen the half of it. He, you just had to be there. There's a whole world of experience that I'm leaving out. Believe me, he was the son of God. David was using a hyperbole in 1 Samuel 1 when he said that Jonathan and Saul were swifter than eagles and stronger than lions. Well, that's impossible, so the Bible's not all true. No. These are, there are many examples of this, but you obviously can't always take the Bible literally. It's a work of great literature, and like uh, all great books, you'll find the authors using what we call literary devices, figures of speech that, that actually contribute to the greatness of the writing that appeals to our imaginations without undermining its truthfulness. So we have Roman numeral one in your notes, a very important qualification that if you compare scripture with scripture, David doesn't intend to be taken literally when he says he heals all our diseases. It's called a hyperbole. It's not literally true. But what does it mean when he says this? Well, here it is. Or at least here's a good part of it. It's Roman numeral two in your notes. Still, it's overwhelmingly true, more than we might realize at first. 
We're going to see today that if we only knew all that he has been doing to keep us alive, we'd be counting our blessings even when we're sick. We'd see that we've got nothing to complain about. Because by comparison to what he's been doing from time immemorial to to restrain the sickness and the disease and the pestilence and all the rest that would have long since wiped out the entire human race thanks to the fall of Adam, by comparison to what he's been doing to keep us well, we have nothing to complain about when we get sick. Though he understands how hard it is and he has compassion on it. Because though he does let some of these diseases through, still, basically, since the day we were born, he's been healing all our diseases. He's been doing it in so many ways, on so many levels, both from the inside out, point A in your notes, and from the outside in, point B. Let's start with the inside out. David says, as you all know in Psalm 139, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And thanks to the marvels of modern science that came because of our wonderfully made minds, we understand far more than David ever did just how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. This includes the the human immune system, which is a gift from God to protect us from the diseases of a fallen world. The immune system, you might say, is an internally manufactured antibiotic prescribed by the great physician through which he heals all our diseases, speaking hyperbolically, of course. Not to mention the miracle, just one of, another of many examples, the miracle of our skin. If you, if you look at it closely, our skin is an intricately woven, semi-permeable, multi-layered uh, bubble suit. Right? That we all wear to protect us from a hostile, fallen environment. As do all uh, those little hairs in our noses that filter out many contaminants and that grow longer as we grow older, as Julie tells me. (laughs) Brian, do something about it. Our noses alone are two little gas masks that come free of charge, as do so many of the other ways that he keeps out so many other diseases that don't even get to our immune systems to take care of. There's so much more of it here, but he heals our diseases, indeed. Write books on that. But not just from the inside out like that, but from the outside in, point B uh, in your notes. He did it, for instance, through the dietary laws of the Old Testament and the laws of uncleanness. They're rudimentary standards of health and hygiene, ones that we take for granted in our culture, in our Judeo-Christian culture that's based on the Bible. Not many realize it, but our culture is permeated with practical biblical teaching from the book of Leviticus through which he protects us from a whole lot of diseases. I was reminded of this uh, uh, in a whole new way back in 2000 when our family did a missions trip to Mali, West Africa, where Julie's brother was a missionary, courtesy of Julie's folks who sent us over there to see them and to experience this. And you see then, when you go there, what can be missing from a culture that's not based on the Bible. All the way from how they raise their kids to how they cook their food. We, we went to a health clinic that the mission sponsored for uh, mothers of young children. And I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. Many of those mothers don't have a clue when it comes to basic standards of cleanliness. 
And so at this clinic, the missionaries teach them rudimentary principles of health and hygiene. And get this, they do it from teaching them from the Old Testament, from the book of Leviticus, where many of these standards that we so take for granted originated and then spread through the globe. Way back when God had revealed those standards to uh, an ignorant race that was trying to do life without him in so many ways, he showed us the way. And if he hadn't, we'd probably long since be extinct as a race, and that's no hyperbole. Essentially, what those missionary mothers were doing in Mali, West Africa, was this. They were teaching them to follow the great physician's orders through which he heals the diseases they would have had if they hadn't followed his orders, who seeks to keep us well from the outside in, too. More than we know, what we enjoy in America comes from the Bible, as does the entire of Western civilization, at least it used to. In fact, Time Magazine did a cover story on this a few years back, And it stands in sharp contrast to a lot of other cultures that aren't saturated with biblical teaching and a biblical worldview that gave rise to the medical sciences. Sciences that came from minds which themselves and God's grace came from God. If you're interested in this, a fascinating read is a book called The Book That Made Your World, How the Bible Created the Soul of Western Civilization. Another is how Christianity changed the world by Alvin Schmidt in so many fundamental ways. But there's more. It's not just the health sciences and health you know, standards that come from him. He's also revealed the moral standards, the moral standards by which he protects us from the varied and sundry maladies and diseases as we follow his prescriptions and take in these standards. I have a book on my shelves called None of These Diseases. It's subtitled, A Physician Testifies That Health, Happiness, and Longer Life Can Be Yours If You Follow the Teachings of the Bible. It quotes Exodus 15.26 on the back cover, which David may have had in mind when he wrote our verse for today in Psalm 103. It says, I will give you, if, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you, which I put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer, and I do it by my statutes. This is probably the best cross-reference for our verse for today in Psalm 103. If you do what is right, if you give ear to my commandments and keep my statutes, I will heal your diseases. And what that means is this, among other things. He tells us what is right, not just, you know, hygienically, though that was in his statutes as well, but also morally, that it might be well with us physically, uh, psychologically, uh, relationally, and in so many other ways. It's not just the hygienic standards that have permeated our culture thanks to the Bible, but the moral standards of the Bible have permeated entire cultures and especially uh, Judeo-Christian cultures, at least until recently. And through these two, these standards, he's been healing all our diseases. How so? 
Well, among my files is uh, one file folder that is chalked full, about this thick, of articles, a file that I've titled Health Via Godliness. Health Via Godliness. It's chocked full of articles and quotations and excerpts from books that demonstrate the connection between moral living and healthful, healthy living. All sorts of major secular studies showing that church going and right living are good for your health, for healthy bodies, healthy relationships, healthy minds. This one comes from Time Magazine. It's just one teeny little example. A medical study of 180 U.S. newlyweds shows that arguing can be unhealthy. Reason disputes are okay, but sarcasm and put-downs can result in elevated blood pressure and weakened immune systems. Really got to watch it when it comes to sarcasm. It's usually not funny. Which is one reason why the Bible says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word which is good for edification, for building up and not tearing down. It's healthier. USA Today ran an article a year ago titled, Hostility, Anxiety May Hold Key to Heart Attack. Which is one reason why the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Philippians 4, 6. At all costs, it's going to hurt your health. The American Association of Science reviewed 212 scientific studies on the link between religion and health. 75% of them demonstrated that religion has a positive effect. And the vast majority of the religions that they studied were Judeo-Christian religions. In so many ways. Like the sexual standards. It's for our good, right? You may have read George Will's article in Newsweek a while back called AIDS, comma, crushes a continent. He called it a plague of biblical proportions. In Nambia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Swaziland, one in four adults is affected. There will be 40 million orphans in sub-Saharan Africa uh, by the end of, of this decade. It's, it, it, it's ravaging, it says, the sexually active cohort of people 15 to 49, the creators of the future. It may produce an Africa of old men and women. What's happening there? Well, I think sexually active is the operative phrase there. It's the key phrase, sexually active outside of marriage. And if this isn't a lesson on how he protects us through his moral laws, or at least tries to, I don't know what is. Yet we're not getting it. We don't deserve it, yet he keeps doing it. There's so much more here, but you may... In a way, it's summed up by a cartoon I ran across the other day of a, a teenager who's standing by his grandpa who's seated in the chair reading a newspaper. And the kid says, hey, grandpa, what did you wear in the olden days to protect yourself from unsafe sex? The old man, without looking up, a surly look on his face said this, what do we wear to protect ourselves from unsafe sex? A wedding ring. There it is. That is, we followed the doctor's orders. 
and you're a fool not to. Unlike upwards of 75% of our population, which doesn't follow the doctor's orders, therefore, up to 75% of our population is now infected with one kind of sexually transmitted disease or another. In spite of all that God's been doing to protect them. We've changed so much, haven't we? I think a good epitaph for this generation may well be that we failed to listen to Proverbs 4 where he says, my son, this is Solomon, but it's the heavenly father speaking to a race of wayward children. He says, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body." Bottom line, there is a cause and effect link between hedonism and health, between depravity and disease, between being good and being well. From time immemorial, God's been using these moral and social and judicial standards to protect us from the consequences of our depravity from the outside in along with a whole host of hygienic standards from the, uh, for, uh, not to mention all the physical safeguards that he's built into our very bodies to protect us from the inside out. In his great compassion to give us a chance to turn to him when really we should have just died like that, like he said we would. It's a very slow process. If you have any doubt about how merciful he's been, just look what happens when he you know, lifts his restraining grace just a tad. They called it the bubonic plague, which wiped out one-third of Europe's population in a matter of three years. That's what we deserve. That's what would happen without him. They, in 1918, they called it the influenza epidemic, which killed more than 20 million people around the world. Yeah, we say David's using a hyperbole in Psalm 103, but maybe it's not such a hyperbole after all. So much more here, but kind of stepping back, looking at Psalm 103, the first three verses, David goes from our sins to our sicknesses, from how completely he pardons all our iniquities to how overwhelmingly he heals all our diseases. And there is a link between the two. As you'll see at the bottom of your notes, and you can fill in the blank, summary. In his great compassion, how deep is the Father's love for us? In his great compassion, the Father pardons our iniquities, then restrains the consequences of our iniquities by a multitude of biological, medical, moral, social, and judicial interventions. From the fall of Adam, when the whole creation fell with Adam and was subjected to corruption, the Father has been giving us what we don't deserve. He's been restraining the forces that would otherwise have swept the globe and turned the world into like a hellhole of depravity and disease. Such is God's great compassion that the instant Adam sinned, there was a miracle pardon followed by a miracle cure. 
to give us a chance to come to Him, to work out the whole history of salvation, which continues to this day, such as the grace of the God we serve who heals all our diseases. And I think that's why as I was talking to Bill Hunt this morning, I asked him how he was doing. He gave the answer we should always give in light of this. What is it? Better than I deserve. We're all doing better than we deserve. Thanks to this verse. But even that is not the half of it. In fact, we just scratched the surface of God's grace because this is just the blink of a life compared to an eternity when we will be healed completely. Two days before my father passed away in 1960, he woke up and told my mom that he almost died the night before. She said, oh, did you? He said, yes. And he, he could just barely whisper. He said, and I saw heaven. I saw heaven. And she said, did you? What was it like? And he grappled for words, and finally he said, oh, the wonder, the glory. Words can't express it. And then he started to mouth the words of a hymn, and finally she caught it. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And she started to back him with her beautiful voice, his whispering voice. It will be worth it all when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. And he died two days later. It's like the old gospel song, one of my favorites, All My Tears. Do you remember that one? When I die, don't cry for me. In my Father's arms I'll be, because I've come to the Father through Christ. When I die, don't cry for me. In my Father's arms I'll be. The, wor- the wounds this world left on my soul will all be healed, and I'll be whole. Which is why David goes on to say this in verse 15 of Psalm 103. In a powerful way, he describes the disease of death that will take us all out. He says, as for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. He's saying, he's saying we all fade so quickly because of our depravity. We're but a vapor in a universe which is itself a vapor because it was subjected to corruption and it too is going to pass away. We're but a vapor in a universe that can feel so empty, but it doesn't matter, he says, because the Father's love is forever on those who know him. David's saying, his love for me is from everlasting to everlasting, so when I die, don't cry for me. In my Father's arms I'll be. Oh, this is the psalm of the Father. 
He's talking about the everlasting, the everlasting. He's talking about the, the plans from each, the Father's plans for us from eternity past to eternity future. He's talking about the everlasting current of the Father's love that accomplishes those plans, a love that courses over and under and through and all around us, a love that bears us up through all life's ups and downs to home in glory. To where the hyperbole will become a reality. To where he'll heal all our diseases completely. But not just completely. And not just overwhelmingly. But gloriously. In, in the nuclear glory of our immortality. When we'll shine like the sun, Christ said, in the kingdom of the Father. Up until now, David's been talking about God's general grace toward all men, biologically, medically, morally. But this is his special grace to those who know him. This is when we'll know the wonder, like my dad said, the glory. Words can't express it. This is where the wounds this world left on my soul will all be healed. And I'll be whole. So the song concludes, as will I. It don't matter where you bury me. I'll be home and I'll be free. It don't matter where I lie. All my tears be washed away forever and ever. Amen. Father, we want to thank you that really all we can say is bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Looking at all you've done with all that is within us, we want to bless your holy name. Thank you that no matter what we're going through, whether individually or congregationally, we can do that with all that is within us to be filled up in our emptiness with the fullness of the Father and His truth. Help us to remember the benefits of Your general grace and of Your special grace that comes from the outside in and from the inside out and that will come over us forever in heaven. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.